So this evening I'd like to begin our time together <clears throat> with a few moments as though sitting under the Bodhi tree with Siddhartha Gautama 2,500 years ago. Towards the end of that long and now famous night under the bow tree, and after Mara, the personification of all of the dark and potentially destructive forces in the mind, had let fly the poison arrows of greed, aversion, and delusion at Siddhartha the arrows that Mara hoped would stick and then distract Siddhartha Gautama from the clarity and the strength of his great vow and his courageous determination to fully awaken. Mara shot the last arrow that was left in the quiver, the arrow of doubt, self-doubt, accompanied by these words what makes you think you have the right to be sitting here where and how you are just who do you think you are anyway and the bodhisattva the just about to be Buddha protected within the great strength of his mindful presence which was enlivened by a keen interest and a penetrating sense of investigation accompanied by clear discernment this about to be Buddha supported by the tremendous energy of his determination and the flow of an effortless effort imbued with an enlivening and refreshing joy balanced within the deep power and cool ease of an unwavering, undistracted mind Siddhartha Gautama sitting under the bow tree that night with unshakable stability with an evenness and balance of receptive presence as though he were an immovable mountain with all of these qualities these factors of mind and heart perfectly in place in response to Mara's challenge the Bodhisattva with his amazing grace simply reached down and touched the earth with the fingertips of his right hand letting Mara know that the earth was bearing witness to his right to be sitting where and how he was and Mara was defeated in that moment never again to have any power over the Buddha And so we sit 
maybe not always quite exactly like the Buddha said on that night 2,500 years ago. But we sit, we practice with great sincerity and determination at home alone and with your sangha, wherever that is. And now, here in retreat. As awakening beings, as we practice, the particular qualities of heart and mind that were all so perfectly in place within Siddhartha that night under the bow tree, unfabricated, unprompted, and mature at that amazing point in time. As we practice, these capacities of heart and mind continue to develop, deepen, and mature within ourselves. It's inevitable, actually, that this happens if we keep on practicing. This evening we'll explore the quality or the factor of mind that's the most fundamental underlying factor of our practice, mindfulness. And as we explore together this evening, allow the words to be a touch point or a a pointing out towards directly connecting with mindfulness within yourself, which is facilitated by what we might call listening from the heart rather than listening from the head. And in support of this, it's helpful to relax deeply in and through your body. So just taking a couple of moments now to drop into the body with a bright, easy attention. And relaxing from head to toe and letting the whole body, heart and mind deeply relax into a direct presence and with an open heart simply hearing so mindfulness The Buddha spoke about mindfulness as being a precious gem and that it's supported by seclusion, impartiality, and renunciation. The very conditions we have here on retreat. A pervasive and deep mindfulness along with a calm, concentrated mind are key factors for the heart, the mind to ripen into the letting go that's necessary to awaken. 
I often think of mindfulness as the mother the great mother of all the factors of mind necessary for awakening in fact really the great mother of the whole of our practice in a sense it's the factor that gives birth to all of the other factors necessary for liberation the Buddha spoke about mindfulness as the chief so maybe a kind of male-female way of speaking about it we could say that mindfulness is the chief mother and when it really begins to be established in us it's the ingredient that offers us the greatest protection in Pali the word for mindfulness is sati sometimes translated as memory or to remember to remember to reconnect to connect or reconnect to the present moment's experience of body and mind and I think for many of us at least at times we forget to be mindful because of our strong habituated conditioning to not remember to not directly freshly purely connect to the present moment's experience but rather remain resting in the inertia of our habits once in a a Dhamma discussion with friends someone asked what makes mindfulness a spiritual practice and I think that's a very good question especially these days because mindfulness is quite a commonly used word these days and because it's so commonly used often without much real understanding about what it means some of its depth some of its potency is dissipated so what makes mindfulness a spiritual practice the great intimacy of mindfulness this moment's experience is just this absolutely believing our eyes ears nose tongue touch mind and heart absolutely believing our body and mind meaning absolutely believing what comes to be known through cultivating a powerful direct immediate mindful awareness being receptive to what is without the forethought of concepts or past experiences 
or ideas of how we think it is or how it should be or how it could be. And as Krishnamurti said, beginning as though you don't know anything about it and moving from innocence to innocence. Or what we could call the don't know mind. The great intimacy of mindful presence opening us to understanding the way it really is which may appear so clear and simple that we can hardly believe it. The Buddha's mindfulness asks us to not remain resting in the inertia of our old habits, but really to meet the experience of the moment with a fresh, connected intimacy to come close and see how it is mindfulness doesn't float or skim along the surface of things it connects going right into the object and yet at the same time it's not a sticky fixed connection Mindfulness is a clear, fluid connection that lights on an object just long enough and deep enough to know it. This is the flavor of attention that allows for a penetrating investigation and clear comprehension of whatever it connects with. Mindfulness is the active aspect of awareness. And as I mentioned last night, it's a non-judging, non-manipulative, non-grasping, non-rejecting orientation to the present moment's experience. And at its best, purely receptive in its relationship to whatever is presenting itself in the present moment. And of course we pay attention to a whole range of experience, including things that we usually do quite mechanically. Breathing, walking, moving the body in all sorts of ways, seeing, hearing, eating, thinking. We pay attention to phenomena that's pleasant, that's maybe wonderful and easy to be with. And we pay attention to experience that's unpleasant and that might be difficult to give our attention to. We open to all of it. No parts left out. The very stuff of our lives is our path to liberation. Not the, well, I could really be mindful if I wasn't so restless, or I could really be mindful if I didn't feel so much anger or sadness or pain. 
or I could really be mindful if I wasn't sick or if I felt better I could really be mindful if I wasn't so caught up in thought or so attached or attracted to beauty I could really be mindful with all of it Mindfulness is about living in the action. Living in the action of the body, heart, and mind. Living in the present moment's experience. In a sense, we forget ourselves. We lose our self, so to say, in what is. And so there's just what is without anything added or needing to be added and without taking anything away or needing to take away anything. With mindful awareness we have the possibility of not thinking I'm doing this or I'm doing that. The moment that we think I'm doing this we're creating or recreating a sense of a separate self creating a separation a disconnection from the reality of the way of things and living in an idea the idea of I the idea of me and mine instead of living in the action. As you engage in the three creative practices offered during these two weeks, movement, seeing, drawing, and writing, with mindfulness being the underlying root of your practice, the opportunity to mindfully investigate and see the presence of freedom, or suffering in relationship to self-view in relationship to the erroneous view of a separate solid static me the presence of freedom or suffering will become clearer and clearer As I mentioned last evening, yogis sometimes describe mindfulness as a kind of magic. Not the magician's magic that creates illusion and then pulls us into that illusion, that delusion. The magic and the great beauty of mindfulness is that it takes us out of illusion, out of delusion, directly into reality. Without it, we're bound. Without it, we're imprisoned in the assumed appearance of things and get caught again and again in reactivity to these not clearly seen appearances. The result being that we unnecessarily suffer 
in this believed unreality. Again, words from Krishnamurti. If we don't know what mindfulness is, we're like a blind person in a world of bright color, shadows, and moving light. No matter who we are, where, or how we live, all of us, every single one of us, want happiness. And most of, most of us want our, much of our experiences, our life experience, to be permanently in place. Or at least deeply satisfying. We want life to suit our passing fancies, our expectations, our deepest desires. Consequently, most people spend most of their time and energy trying to accomplish this through external experiences. By getting this and that, him or her, doing this and that, going here and there. And we go for for sustaining satisfaction and contentment through the constantly changing world of our senses, as well as through the myriad and constantly changing relationships that grow on, go on throughout our whole life. And some of the time we know, at least intellectually, that none of this really works. The Buddha spoke about happiness that's beyond our ordinary experience of pleasure. He said that happiness arises when we're mindful. And so we take the Buddha's words to heart and look closely, very closely, to see feel and know our experience directly. Our meditation practice cultivates mindfulness. Mindfulness happens, we could say, when we really truly bring our attention to the present moment. And we practice this over and over again, moment by moment by moment. Our practice is one of intimacy. The very deepest intimacy with our own experiences. Which as practice develops and deepens, expands and matures. This becomes an intimacy. A kind of profound heart connection. With all beings. All things. The direction of mindfulness is to be aware, intimately aware of it, whatever it is in the moment. See and know what is 
what really truly is. How is it in this present moment? In this present moment? In this present moment? This is really a basic foundation for all forms of Buddhist practice. How is it in experiencing the eye? Nose, ear, tongue, body, touch. How is it in experiencing the mind? How is it really? Not what you hope it is or want it to be or imagine it to be or don't want it to be. A mindful relationship to present moment experience is what allows clarity and true understanding, insight, to arise, to just simply and very naturally arise, which it inevitably does. We don't do anything to make it happen. The truth is actually not very far away at all. It's right here, ever-present, immediately close, always, and everywhere. And it's our greatest protection. Some years ago I was teaching a class, meditation class, here in Taos and at the beginning of each uh, class once a week students would come in and share something from their week of practice that related to the particular aspect of practice that we were looking at and studying and practicing and one uh, class period a woman came in and said that that morning she had been watering her garden. Something she'd been doing for years, had done many, many, many times. But she said that morning she was watering her garden and it was as though it was the first time she'd ever watered her garden. And she was quite struck by that. And then she went on to say to all of us, How have we survived so long without being mindful? And she continued and she said, Terrible things are done when mindfulness isn't present. Which kind of woke everyone up. The Buddha Dhamma is about transforming the mind, transforming the heart. Without mindfulness, it's as though we're living life through binoculars that are out of focus. Our perspective, our perception 
is is blurred. We experience life through the filters of ideas, the filters of preconceptions, opinions, fears, judgments, or similar past experiences. Meditation practice that's grounded in mindful awareness is about bringing everything into a clear, sharp focus to see things as they truly are as though for the first time without judgment with a mind that's fresh with what's often called beginner's mind some years ago I had the great pleasure and honor of being with uh, my grandson when he was two and a half years old who for the first time in his life saw a pine cone and his mother and I were walking with him where they were living in Pennsylvania down back behind their house and my little grandson picked up this pine cone the first one ever and he looked at it turned it every which way he could turn it he put it up to his nose and smelled it all the way around end to end He stuck his tongue on it and licked it every which way, investigating this object that he had found and seen, was seeing for the first time. His mother and I watched, and then we dutifully, as good mother and grandmother said, that's a pine cone. (laughs) And my grandson looked up at us kind of quizzically, frowned a little bit and repeated as a good grandson should pine cone and then forgot it and went back to his investigation his hands-on immediate direct investigation of this object that he was looking at smelling tasting I think he probably even put it up to his ear I don't remember for the first time with his fresh open beginner's mind this is an attitude of mind of heart that we can learn or relearn to bring into our life as a whole and it's transformative transformative and healing these next two weeks will offer you some incredible opportunities to meet and engage and experience with this fresh open beginner's mind one definition of these teachings and practices is that they're the best medicine the best medicine to make us well in the deepest and most profound sense well as in freedom from the sickness of confusion anguish fear freedom from the relentless wanting that stems from ongoing dissatisfaction 
the best medicine towards making us well, freedom from suffering. There are four domains of mindfulness, four ways of setting up or establishing mindfulness here and now. And this evening we'll explore the first of these domains. And in my next talk we'll explore the uh, next three. So this first domain of mindfulness, paying attention to the body in the body. Just the body as such. Not one's ideas about it or interpretations of it. And of course there are many and varied and very specific aspects of the body to notice and to give a careful attention to. And everyone here knows that one of our primary practice orientations to the body is mindfulness of breathing. And I have to say because I think there can be some misunderstanding about this. Breath as an object of mindful attention is not just a beginner's instruction. Not just a beginner's way of practicing. The development of the mind and the understanding that's accessible through mindfulness of breath is potentially profound. In making the rising and falling movement of the breath in the belly or the simple sensations of the in and out breath at the nostrils a basic ground of mindful attention. I've been deeply grateful and even awed at times at the depth and the breadth of purification of the heart, the mind that happens, as well as for what comes to be seen and known, seen and understood with a simple and careful attention to the direct experience of breath. So just for a moment now, if you don't already have your eyes closed, close your eyes and let your attention drop into the breath. mindfully absorb into the rising and falling or the in and the out at the nostrils without any self or with as little self as possible. And just very simply noticing, for instance, are you trying to control? 
Are you trying to manipulate or control the breath? It's very important to notice this without judgment, to notice it without self-recrimination. Just notice it. In a moment of clear seeing, there's often a sense of relief. As a friend of mine says, seeing is relieving. We might at times particularly notice each breath, each inhalation and exhalation directly, directly as sensation, movement, as vibration in the area of the body where we connect with the breath. And noticing it right when it begins and staying with it all the way through to the end. And maybe actually noticing the end, the cessation of the breath and the beginning of the next exhalation, inhalation. Or we may simply notice movement of the in and out breathing at the nostrils or in the belly. Basically just this, which cultivates an increasingly quiet, tranquil and peaceful breath and an overall body-mind calm and tranquility. The body in the body, mindfulness of the four postures, and not our ordinary everyday kind of casual way of noticing our bodily activity, but a closer, more intimate, ongoing and careful attention to the body in every position, standing, sitting, lying down, walking and the various movements of the body and getting up and down, flexing and extending the arms and legs, turning, lifting and carrying, even bringing mindfulness to the body in the body in relation to the experiences of falling asleep and waking. Who's moving? Who's lying down? Is there a someone? A me? An I behind this walking, this standing, this sitting, this movement? Beginning to see the postures and the movement of the body just as it is in itself 
can standing be known as just simply standing? Sitting is just simply sitting. Walking is just simply walking. Without the layer of I am or the internal feeling of this is me walking, sitting, etc. Once many years ago, one of my Burmese teachers, Sado Pandita, asked me, is there a woman or a man or a person when you're mindful of and noting walking, standing, sitting, or any bodily sensations? For just a brief moment, I was caught by the question which in retrospect I think was kind of a test from my teacher uh, of my practice at that time but very quickly there was a spontaneous reflection and a response of no no there's no woman or no man or anybody known when I'm directly connected, when I'm directly connected with and mindful of walking or whatever bodily phenomena is happening. A good question that you might ask yourself at some point. And maybe through the great intimacy of mindful awareness of the body in the body, we also begin to notice the ongoing flow of conditions that every single moment of experience arises out of. For instance, the intention to, followed by action or inaction. In the intimacy of mindfulness, we might begin to notice where the energy of intention or volition begins. Where it starts from and how it feels in our body. I don't in some independent, mysteriously isolated way decide to stand or not stand or sit, or lift an arm, or take a step. If we think that we act solely from the place of I and me, which is a place of separateness, a place of isolation, we'll eventually, or maybe quite quickly, experience some degree of suffering. As we pay a more intimate, mindful attention to the subtleties in the actions of the body and the experience of interrelatedness within the body, we may begin to see and to understand the role of volition, where it comes from, how it arises, and not 
take it personally. As this awareness of the body and the body blossoms, there's a very natural, non-conceptual understanding of the subtler cause of suffering that begins to take hold, which can open our heart to an unimaginable expanse in relationship to all beings. How identified are you? How strong is the clinging to this constantly changing and totally interrelated phenomena we call our body? I had a very deeply dedicated practitioner named Roy who right up to his dying moment he died of AIDS right up to his dying moment totally dedicated practitioner and one afternoon I was in the hospital sitting with him as he was lying in his bed and at that point there was not much left of Roy's body and he was lying there and stretched his arm up overhead slowly turning it from side to side and looking at it with great interest and very carefully and said in a very cool and yet odd way he said one word he said wow the form the posture and the movements of the body are totally dependent or interdependent on conditions they arise dependent on conditions just as for instance does the arising of anger or the sensation of coolness on the skin or the liking or disliking of some experience or Roy's body being as thin and as light as a reed everything happens because of a whole set of conditions coming together moment by moment by moment choices are made but in truth they too are always a product of the play of various conditions can we give such a clear unfettered and intimate attention to the body itself its movements and the process of intention that we begin to directly experience this truth the next establishment or domain of mindfulness in the body that the Buddha points towards 
is giving attention to the parts of the body all 32 of them as it's taught in the Buddhist texts hair, skin, muscles, bones all the various internal organs and fluids in your practice here you most likely notice them when they make themselves known such as the intestine or the bladder the heart, the lungs maybe the liver mucus, saliva the classical 32 parts of the body practice is one that isn't very often taught in the West though it can be a very powerful practice in beginning to dissolve one's conceptual solidity and identification with one's own body and other bodies and I have no doubt that you have noticed many parts of your body even during this first full day of the retreat but how often did you notice them in a mindful way how identified are you with the hair on your head or the lack of it or the hair on your body for instance how do you attend to the experience of your intestine and the digestive processes therein or to a moment or many moments experience of the heart how do you experience your skin this bag of flesh that holds all the various contents of the body how do you experience your nails, teeth, saliva, sweat or any part of your body or bodily experience with what I like to call the extraordinary qualities of mindful awareness a non-judgmental non-manipulative non-grasping non-rejecting non-self-identified kind of attention just the body in the body without the layers of ideas about it and interpretations of it just the body as a body from the Buddha abiding contemplating the body as a body internally externally he or she abides independent not clinging to anything in the world this is how a yogi abides contemplating the body as a body just consider for a moment how do you identify yourself for most of us if not all of us a primary part of our personal identification is related to our body we identify ourselves in good part 
through rupa, the Pali word that translates as material form or materiality. So considering this for a moment in relationship to yourself. I'm a woman or I'm a man. I'm thin or fat or not too thin or not too fat. I'm tall or short or of average height. I'm good looking, beautiful, ugly, plain, attractive, unattractive. I have dark skin or light skin or good skin or bad skin. My nose is large or my nose is too big or small or cute. I'm wrinkled and old and weak or I'm young and strong and smooth-skinned. And on and on it goes. With all of these personal identities changing over the years, within days, or within just moments in our mind, even though we engage tremendous effort, energy in time and time in clinging to these various identities. There's no place to hang our identity hat for more than a few moments, if that. No place to rest in these constantly changing relative perceptions and ideas of who we think we are. Another aspect of a mindfulness that can be established in the body is related to the fact that our bodies are essentially no different than any other form, no different than any other rupa. Our human form is of the same elements as any and every other form. Nothing more, nothing less. Again, potentially a kind of non-ordinary way to cut through the concept of of the static solidity and the I am identification. The Buddha offered a profound teaching and very specific practice in conjunction with this teaching that if we sincerely and seriously take it up, it becomes a window opening us to the direct experience, discernment, and understanding of one aspect of ultimate reality. The ultimate reality of rupa, form. The reality of how it really is. How, what this body, as well as every other form, really is. 
the teaching and the practice is about directly discerning the four great essentials or the four great elements earth, water, fire, air or wind as it's sometimes called indirectly experiencing the specific characteristics of each of these elements in the body so the element of earth the characteristics being hardness, roughness, heaviness softness, smoothness, lightness the water element characteristics flowing, cohesion the fire element heat or warmth cold or coolness and the air element or wind element supporting, pushing so exploring just a few of these characteristics together for a few moments this evening and begin by relaxing and bringing your attention to the breath just for a moment or two and letting the mind settle and focus in a simple way starting with pushing begin by being aware through the sense of touch of the pushing in the center of the head as you breathe in and out if the pushing of the breath in the center of the head isn't easy to discern then try being aware of pushing as the chest expands when breathing or as the abdomen expands when breathing wherever there's movement there's pushing And when you can discern this characteristic of pushing, either in the top of the head as you breathe in, or in the chest or in the belly, briefly concentrate on it until it becomes clearer in your mind. Not on the word, but concentrate on the action of pushing. Now move your awareness to another part of the body nearby and look for pushing there. This can be done again and again in various parts of the body until wherever you place your awareness in the body, 
you can easily see and know pushing. In some places it will be obvious, and in other places it will be quite subtle. but it's present everywhere throughout the body. And now we'll go towards discerning hardness. And begin by discerning hardness in the teeth. Bite your teeth together a few times, feeling how hard they are. Now relax your bite and feel the hardness of the teeth. And when you can feel this, try to discern hardness throughout the body in a systematic way, from head to feet, in the same way you did with discerning pushing. But take care not to deliberately tense the body. And we'll now move towards discerning softness. Gently press your tongue against the inside of your upper or lower lip to feel its softness. Relax your body and practice systematically beginning to discern softness throughout the body. And we'll next look for heat or warmth throughout the body, usually quite easily seen and known. Heat or warmth.
and next coldness or coolness. Feeling the coolness of the breath as it enters the nostrils. And begin to discern coolness or coldness throughout the body. characteristics that we've explored so far are known directly through the sense of touch. The next two elemental characteristics that we'll briefly look at are to some degree known by inference as well as by direct experience. The characteristics of the water element, flowing and cohesion. So experimenting for a moment in discerning the characteristic or quality of cohesion in your body. Awareness of how the body is being held together by the skin, flesh and sinews. blood being held in by tissue and skin like water in a balloon. Without cohesion, the body would fall into separate pieces and particles. The force of gravity which keeps the body stuck to the earth is also cohesion. If cohesion still isn't clear experientially, then you can pay attention to just the qualities of pushing and hardness. And eventually you may feel as if the whole body's wrapped up in, as if in coils of a rope. How intimately, how mindfully connected are you to these most basic and universal experiences? This body in its elemental nature, essentially no different than any other form. The last instruction from the Buddha in relationship to this first establishment of mindfulness is the contemplation 
of the stages of decay in a corpse. Seemingly not something we have much of an opportunity to do in a retreat such as this. But the truth is that there are many kinds of corpses around to observe in a place like this. Insects. Maybe birds or other creatures. And certainly corpses of plants and trees and flowers. All forms of life are mortal. All forms, all rupas are mortal. They have the nature to die and decompose, or just deconstruct and decompose. Consequently, it's possible to observe this directly. I've been in retreat in various places over the years, and at times quite purposefully observe the dying process of flowers and grasses and continued over time to observe them going through all of the changes that things do as and after they die. And once when I was on a retreat with a few friends on Cape Cod where we rented a house for a couple of months to practice together, I had the great good fortune, maybe only good fortune in the world of Dhamma practice. I had the great good fortune to come upon a dead seal on the beach in Cape Cod. And so every day for a month I walked down to that body and sat with it for a while, observing and letting the process of decomposition and decay be known which in this instance was actually happening quite quickly because it was being helped along by the many seagulls who found the seal's decaying flesh to be delicious food. This daily practice during that month-long retreat was a heart-mind-changing experience for me on many levels. Ajahn Sumedho, the abbot of Amaravati Monastery in England and the senior Western monk in the Thai forest tradition of Ajahn Chah, tells about a time when he was living in the monastery in Thailand and he asked if he could, uh, would be able to spend part of a day practicing in the city morgue. And because he was a monk, the authorities let him in, although somewhat reluctantly. And he said that all of his sense doors, which included his conditioned mind, were fully challenged, or as he said, fully assaulted. He said the first thing that hit him was the smell, which almost drove him to run out the door. But he just stayed mindfully present, and little by little it became bearable, tolerable, just a smell, just a scent. 
He spoke about his long-standing and deeply embedded assumptions regarding the package of the human form being completely undone in his mind and heart as he took in all the various stages of decay that were all around him. And he mentions that at one point he looked up at the ceiling in the morgue and saw all sorts of parts, as he put it, which he at first found quite puzzling. And then he quickly realized that the bloated body in front of him could explode at any moment, which he uh, very uh, strongly hoped it wouldn't do while he was there. And then remarked that fortunately it didn't happen. He said that when he went back out on the street, he saw people in a radically new way, with a radically wide open heart. It isn't about being morbid or strange in some way. All forms, all rupas, living and non-living, are mortal. And we're so attached to forms, our own form, and all sorts of other forms. For many of us, our attachment is so strong that most of the time we live with an almost constant and often unrecognized desire for and attachment to. For instance, forms that please us or forms that are beautiful to us, or forms that are amusing or interesting to us, or simply the taken-for-granted, familiar forms. I think what is actually strange and amazing is that fairly often We think and act as if we and they won't change, won't die. Which if we begin to see this habitual way of thinking and acting closely, we find that it produces an almost constant state of subtle or not so subtle tension and stress in our heart, mind and body. The Buddha's instruction to attend to corpses of whatever form can be helpful towards cutting through this state of tension and stress, cutting through clinging, cutting through suffering. How do you know the body? How are you established in this first domain, this first foundation of mindfulness? Mindfulness practice trains us to drop into the body again and again. And what we find when we connect and look carefully in the body are sensations. Much of the drama of our thought, feelings, and actions begin with sensations. 
through mindfulness we train ourselves to be in the body to receive them to be present with the sensations of our body is not an act of will it's actually an act of unconditional acceptance an act of metta with a kind of equanimity or grace this acceptance implies not fighting or resisting what's presenting itself not wanting things to be different and not concealing or hiding from the moment's experience in the body in such moments we feel and know our activity belonging to life we might wash the dishes as an act of generosity and love as a holy act we open the door feeling and knowing what the wrist is doing feeling our body contract and turn away from the cold weather we catch ourselves and consciously rise to meet it the choice to be mindfully aware is often an act of courage the essential practice is to return to whatever presents itself in our experience from moment to moment to feel and know the actual physical sensation of our aliveness in relationship to the movement practice that Jane will be offering as well as in walking practice and in our ordinary everyday movements movement invites attention it asks us to practice a kind of devotion to ourselves not in a self-centered way but it as an act of loyalty we could say instead of abandoning ourselves we can learn to inhabit ourselves in a wholesome and in a wise way someone once said the body is tremendously homesick for us and it waits patiently for our return though we may have ignored its invitations for maybe many years when we do say yes it's immediately available and full of life and all of a sudden we find that we need no training to be fully alive no matter what's happening in our body we need no training to be fully alive and we find that we only lacked the determination to feel our aliveness
Mindfulness is like a treasure hunt. Within the framework of practice, we find the way. And because each of us has experienced specific conditioning, both the path and its fruits uniquely emerge for each of us. The treasures that we discover along the way are healing, beautiful, and simple universal truths of the way of things. And this is what sets us free. I'd like to close the talk this evening with a poem by Mary Oliver. And she calls it the Buddha's last instruction. Make of yourself a light, said the Buddha before he died. I think of this every morning as the east begins to tear off its many clouds of darkness. To send up the first signal, a white fan streaked with pink and violet, even green. An old man, he lay down between two solid trees, and he might have said anything, knowing it was his final hour. The light burns upward, it thickens and settles over the fields. Around him the villagers gathered and stretched forward to listen. Even before the sun itself hangs disattached in the blue air, I am touched everywhere by its ocean of yellow waves. No doubt he thought of everything that had happened in his difficult life. And then I feel the sun itself as it blazes over the hills like a million flowers on fire. Clearly, I'm not needed. Yet I feel myself turning into something of inexplicable value. Slowly beneath the branches, he raised his head. He looked into the faces of that frightened crowd. Make of, us, make of yourself a light, said the Buddha before he died. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.